today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Revelation. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com, and if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now, picking it up in Revelation chapter 10 and verse 1. Hope and pray it'll be a blessing to you. continue our study tonight in the book of Revelation. We are in the 10th chapter. So if you have your Bibles tonight and like to turn with us there. Revelation chapter 10 is what is known as a parenthetical passage of Scripture. Now a parenthetical passage is, is uh, a passage of Scripture or a passage in anything that just lets you know about information, uh, events, things that are occurring at the same time other events and things are happening or occurring. And uh, this particular parenthetical passage falls right here in the 10th chapter, and it goes through the 14th verse of the 11th chapter. Every bit of that area right there from chapter 10 Right on into chapter 11, verse 14 is what is called a parenthetical passage. It's just events and things that are going on at the same time other things are going on. It is happening between the 6th and 7th seal. And uh, let's just pick it up tonight, verse 1, Revelation 10 and verse 1. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. And his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. Now, there is some debate as to whether this is a regular angel or something else. I believe that this is uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know it says angel there, but keep in mind that the word angel simply means messenger. It has been used of men. It has been used of God. It has been used of the angelic creation that we know of as angels. And the description that we have here of this angel can only be applied to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at that uh, description there. First of all, he's clothed with a cloud. If some of you want to flip over to Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40. I'm going to uh, tell you why these particular things are symbolic of things. This cloud that... uh, Uh, that this angel is clothed with is symbolic of glory. And in Exodus 40, if you will move down to verse 34, then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation 
because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So this angel that is clothed with a cloud is symbolic of glory. Now, just hold your place right there in Exodus. If you will, uh, just flip over a couple chapters to Exodus 33. While we're dealing with the subject of glory, there in uh, Revelation 10, verse 1, it also says that his face was as the sun. This is telling us the degree of his glory. John says that uh, when, when he looked upon this angel, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, his face was so bright, it was almost like looking at the sun. And how many of you know you can't look straight at the sun for a length of time? It just bothers your eyes. And you can't look into the face of the Lord and see the details of his face. Do you do much welding? You don't do any welding at all. Anybody do any welding? Familiar with welding? Well, at any rate, in stick welding, if you take that rod and look at it in, in stick welding, you can see writing on it, like a ten, eleven, or whatever the case may be. It tells you some information about that welding rod. And as long as you're holding it up, looking at it, you can read that information. But once you strike that arc and go welding with it, you can't read nothing. That light is so bright, um, it blinds you. And the glory of the Lord is so strong, it's so bright. John likens it to the sun. Of course, he didn't know what a welding rod was. He's just likening it to the brightest thing of his day, which was the sun. And in Exodus 33, if you will, look down at verse 18. We have the story of Moses. Moses wanted to see the glory of God. And this is what God said, Exodus 33, verse 18. He said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. This is Moses speaking. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will... Be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in the cleft of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. So you can see the connection here way back in Moses' day. When Moses wanted to see the face of the Lord, the Lord said, No, I'll hide you over here in this rock, and you can, you can see my back parts, but you can't see my face. If, if human flesh was to see the face of God, you just melt. That, that's just how powerful God is. Our minds can't comprehend that. Well, some of you would probably say, well, how in the world was John able to see it? Well, John's in the spirit. He's in the spirit world. God pulled back the blinds, if you will, so that he could see into the spirit world. So John was able to see these things to an extent. All right, let's move on. Also... Uh, there was a rainbow upon his head, Revelation 
chapter 10, verse 1. And all of you know the story of Noah. The rainbow speaks of grace and mercy. And the first mention of a rainbow is during the days of Noah, Noah's flood. You know, after the flood, God told Noah, he said, uh, Never again will I destroy the earth with a flood. And he put his bow in the cloud in the sky, and God said, Whenever I see that rainbow, I'll be reminded that I'll never destroy the earth again uh, with the judgment of a flood. And uh, like I said, the rainbow is symbolic of grace and mercy. Now, some of you may have the question, I don't see grace and mercy in Noah's flood. I don't understand why God would destroy the entire earth with a flood, and you call that grace and mercy. Well, when you do a little study on it, Right before the flood, the scripture says that all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Uh, we have the fallen angels coming down and cohabiting with the women, and it created a group of uh, a, a mongrel race, if you will, what we call the giants. Noah was the only one that was found perfect. During that time. So if all flesh had corrupted its way, all flesh had, was not what God originally created. Everything was corrupt. And when God sent that flood, it was just like a doctor would go in and remove a cancer. You know, you look and you say, well, that's horrible. The person's got cancer and the doctor's got to go in. Well, it's either remove the cancer or the person dies. God either had to come in and remove that cancer during that time, or else the entire human race would have been destroyed. So God saw that Noah was perfect in his days, and God told him to build the ark, sent all the animals, they got on the ark, and uh, of course you know the story. And after the flood, God said, never again will I send another flood, and uh, he put his rainbow in the sky. All right, also in that verse that this angel had feet as pillars of fire. Now, the pillars of fire speaks of judgment. And Jesus is the only one who can judge because he's God. Not only is he God, but Jesus Christ became a man. He became a man born of the Virgin Mary, and because of his virgin birth, he did not have a sin nature like the rest of the human race has. And due to that lack of a sin nature, Jesus Christ was able to live a perfect life. He never sinned one time in word, thought, or deed. Not one time did he ever sin. I know that can be difficult for some to believe, but he didn't have a sin nature. Now, he was tempted in all points, just like we all are. But the Bible says, yet without sin. Now, the proof of that is when Jesus died on Calvary, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. When he died on Calvary, he took upon himself the sins of all mankind. But on the third day, he raised from the dead. If Jesus had so much as committed one sin in the entirety of his life, 
then he wouldn't have been raised from the dead. But due to the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead on the third day is proof that he never sinned one time. So he was the perfect sacrifice for all of mankind. That's why when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we also have to believe that he was raised from the dead. It all works together. His virgin birth, his perfect life, his death on the cross, his resurrection. Some people say that, well, you know, Jesus uh, couldn't have sinned because he was God. Well, in the form of God, they're exactly right. But Jesus laid aside his, his God powers, his God features, and became a man. Uh, to further explain that to you, it would be like me becoming a dog to save all the dogs in the world. But the thing about it is, once I become a dog, I can never take my original form again. Now you think about what I've just said. Jesus Christ existed in eternity past in the fullness of his power and glory at a given point in time, laid that aside and became a human being for you and I. He took on the form of sinful flesh, yet without sin. He came into this world. He died for us. And all that is required of us is to just put our trust and faith in what he did. That's it. That's all, that, that's all that's required to be saved. We have to know and recognize and admit that we're a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Even those of us that are saved, if we'll be honest with ourselves, there are times when we slip. We say things, uh, things happen, we're all growing, ain't none of us perfect. Uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, God writes our name down in the Lamb's book of life. And it's faith in Christ and what he did at Calvary that gets us saved. It's faith in Christ and what he did at Calvary that keeps us safe. So you've got to maintain your faith in the finished work of Christ. That's why it's important for you to read and study the Word of God on a daily basis. That's why it's important for you to come to church on Wednesday night, Sunday morning, um, listen to uh, programming that's conducive to the moving of the Spirit, um, to help keep your faith anchored in what Jesus did at Calvary. And like I said, He lived a perfect life. He walked through those fires of temptation and that's why it says his feet were as pillars of fire. So he's been where you and I are at, tempted in all points just like as we are yet without sin. He is the only one who can judge. He's the only one that can judge. And believe you me, he will do the judging. Every single one of us in here will stand before God and give an account of what we've done in our body, whether it be good or bad. Now, the Christian will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Not one sin will Jesus bring up. You know why? Because he washed all our sins away. We've accepted him as our Savior. There's power in the blood. The power washes and cleanses from all sin. Not one sin will God bring up to the Christian that day. But now we will be judged according to what we've done since we got saved. God give you this great gift of salvation. What have you done with it since you got saved? Did you witness as you should? 
Did you tell others? Did you do good to your fellow man? Did you do what God wanted you to do? That's what will be judged. Now, those that do not accept Christ as their Savior, they're going to have to give an account of sins and everything else. That's the great white throne judgment. And every single one of those people, their names will be looked up in the Lamb's book of life. And when their name is not found there, they will be thrown into a lake of fire. And there they will remain for all eternity. So we will stand before God and give an account. Now, here we have a combination of this angel, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's clothed with a cloud. There's a rainbow upon his head. His feet are as pillars of fire. Jesus Christ is grace and mercy and peace, but he's also judgment. If his grace and his peace and his mercy is extended to every single human being, but if it's rejected, then judgment is the end result. So Jesus Christ is a combination of all of it. Uh, the problem with a lot of preachers is they just want to preach on grace and mercy. And we want to leave off the judgment part. But you've got to take it all. Jesus Christ is grace and mercy. But I'm here to tell you tonight, if you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, judgment's in your future. Now, I just tell it like it is. It is what it is. He also has those uh, feet as the pillar of fire. All right, verse 2. Revelation 10, verse 2. He had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. Now, this is the same book that we see in Revelation chapter 5. In Revelation chapter 5, uh, God the Father is seen sitting there upon a throne, and there was a book in his hand sealed with seven seals. And a loud voice uh, came forth and a proclamation was made. Who is worthy to take the book and to open the seven seals thereof? And the Bible says that no man was found worthy to take the book and to open it up except for Jesus Christ. And one of those elders said, Behold the Lamb. And John turned and looked and he saw a lamb as if it had been slain. And Jesus walks up and he takes that book out of the right hand of God the Father. And then he begins to open the seven seals. Now, the only difference of this book and the book in Revelation chapter 5 is this book is open. The book in Revelation chapter 5 was closed up. It was sealed. That's why this book here is open. Same book, except now it is open. Now, this book has been referred to as the title deed to the earth. It's the title deed to the earth. And here we have the Lord Jesus Christ standing. He's got one foot on the earth and one foot on the sea. Now, there's something very significant about this. Uh, back in the uh, book of Deuteronomy, God told Joshua, when he was leading the children of Israel into the promised land, he told Joshua, everywhere you set your foot, it's yours. And let me just read it to Deuteronomy eleven twenty four. Every place whereon the soles of your foot shall tread shall be yours. And here we have the Lord Jesus Christ with one foot on the earth 
and one foot on the sea, and he's staking a great claim, and he has the title deed in his hand. And he's pretty much in effect saying that Satan has had his rule and reign in this world long enough. Now in verse 3 it says, He cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roars. Now right before Jesus opened the book, one of the elders said, Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. Here we have that lion roaring. All right, verses 3 and 4. Let's pick up the latter part of verse 3 says, And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. Now what all was said here, we don't know. But there's an important lesson for all of us to learn, and it's this. When God says go, you go. And when God says stop, you need to stop. John is right on target. When God said right, he was right. And when God said stop, he stopped. John heard and understood what was said. But God told him not to write it. Why? We don't know. Now, I'm going to give you a thought on this. If you will, flip over to Matthew chapter 24. Jesus said something in Matthew chapter 24 that I think might just tie in with these seven thunders and what was said here. Matthew chapter 24. We're going to pick it up with verse 21. We don't know what was said. But in Matthew 24, verse 21, Jesus said, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened. Notice the terminology. Matthew 24, verse 22. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Could it be that the tribulation period is shortened by the seven thunder judgments? Could it be what was said, and God told John not to write it, that the reason... God told him not to write it is because even during this time, the period, the great tribulation period, God is still being gracious and merciful even during a time of judgment. He's shortening up this period of time by seven thunder judgments. That's just a thought. I figured I'd throw it out there. Y'all can take it and put it up on the shelf or run with it or whatever you want to do with it. All right. Revelation 10 verse 5. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and the things that therein are and the earth and the things that therein are and the sea and the things which are therein that there should be time 
no longer. Now, this is not referring to time as you normally think of such. Seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years, seasons. He's not referring to time as you normally would think of such. He is referring to uh, this period of time where Satan has been ruling and reigning. God owns this world simply because he created this world, as the scripture has said there by him that created all things that are therein. He created this world. The traditional view of Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is that that was the original creation. That's the traditional view. The gap theory says that Genesis chapter 1 and 2 are recreation days. That prior to that, Lucifer led his rebellion against God. God cast him down to the earth. The earth was destroyed. And what we see there in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 are recreation days. But at any rate, however you want to look at that and interpret that, um, when God created this world or restored this world there in Genesis, he created man and gave him dominion over everything. Dominion over the fish of the sea and uh, the animals, everything. Man had that dominion. But when man sinned, when he partook of that forbidden fruit, he lost that dominion, pretty much just handed it over to Satan. So sin is what gives Satan the legal right to do what he does, which is kill, steal, and destroy. Sin. So Satan has a legal right to work in this world, to rule in this world. Jesus Christ is Lord. Yes, in the future. In the future. He's Lord now of my life, and if you'll turn your life over to him, he can be Lord in your life. But Jesus is not Lord over the earth right this minute. There's a day coming when he will be. At any rate. Satan is referred to as a thief. And in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, The thief cometh not, but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. That's the reason that Jesus came. When Jesus came the first time, what he did on Calvary's cross set the stage for what we see taking place right here. Jesus is coming back. And he's going to set the record straight. Satan has had his rule in this world long enough. 6,000 years of pain, of sickness, of hurt. Children starving to death. Someone would probably ask the question, Why in the world would God allow Satan to continue this long. For 6,000 years, if God is almighty, if God is all-powerful, if what Jesus did on Calvary destroyed Satan and his power, and why in the world do we see the war, the pain, the hurt, the killing, the death? Why is all of that still going on? 
That question has caused more Christians to lose their faith than anything else. It is what we call the mystery of God. We don't know. There's all kind of speculation. But really, we don't know why. Why didn't God just destroy the devil when he... Why didn't God just destroy us? When you sin today or yesterday, why God didn't just strike you down right? God is a God of grace and mercy. I don't have all the answers. But this is what is referred to as the mystery of iniquity. And if you look in verse 7, Revelation 10, verse 7, that particular phrase is used. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God shall be finished, as he hath declared to his servants and prophets. This day has been prophesied from Genesis all the way up until now. Satan's days are numbered, but they're shorter now than they ever have been. And in verse 8, the scripture says, The voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up. And it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. Keep in mind that this book was originally in the hand of God the Father. God owned this book. It was the book of God which contains the Word of God. So this is the Word of God. So what is being said here, go, John, and take the Word of God and consume it. Take it into your being. Did John physically eat the book? I don't know. Maybe he did. But for us today, it means that we should read and study the Word of God. Take it into your being. Memorize the Scriptures. Study the Scriptures. Jesus told them, said, search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. So he's telling John to consume the Word of God. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And then it says that it was sweet in the mouth, but bitter in the belly, which is symbolic of the Word of God. It's typical of the Word of God. And how is that? For all of those that want to be saved, it's a book of grace and mercy. But for all of those that reject it, it's a book of judgment. So it can be sweet to those that accept it, but it can be hell to pay if they reject it. Sweet in the mouth and bitter in the belly. Cuts both ways. It's also likened to a two-edged sword. Cuts both ways. And uh, verse 11 says, And he said unto me, Thou shalt prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Some think that John will be one of the two witnesses that we'll read about in chapter 11 
Uh, we're going to look at that a little bit later on. I don't believe John will be one of those two witnesses. I think that this is referring to the fact that God was not finished giving John the book of Revelation. He's pretty much telling John there's still some more here for you to write and there's still some more work for you to do. And there's work for all of us to do as long as we're here on this earth. today has been a blessing to you. We hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com, click on the donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you.